your fellow redeemed. When somebody asks for, or maybe what is more likely the case, when I try to talk with somebody about what makes resurrection different, what makes the biblical Lutheran approach to scripture different, it usually starts, starts with the central truth of scripture that we call justification. That for the sake of Jesus, God has declared all people to be not guilty. And then it's bookended on two sides, two other teachings that have to be there if that doctrine of justification is going to be understood properly and taught properly. And on one side, it's the truth of original sin, which tells us that I can't do anything to approach God because I'm spiritually dead. And that's how I was born into this world. And the other bookend, on the other side, is what we call the means of grace. The means of grace is the truth that God actually has chosen to work through spoken word and sacrament, through written word and even remembered word, to bring about an increase in faith, to bring somebody from the darkness of unbelief and an enemy of God, and to make that person God's adopted child, to make him or her somebody forgiven whose sins have been washed away, where the justification that Jesus won for all people is now applied personally and individually to that person. Still with me. We're about four minutes in. We got 20 more to go. And, and that's, I mean, as far as foundational concepts, that's about the best way that I've found to describe the difference between Resurrection Lutheran Church and pretty much every other church that you would find in the area. And the difference between the Wisconsin Synod, which teaches the biblical Lutheran approach to scripture, and every other church that you would pass on the highway or maybe pass on your way here. It's that central truth of the forgiveness of sins bookended by the truth that, that we can't do anything, we can't even commit ourselves to God, but that God has promised to do everything. That he actually gives you and applies his forgiveness to your heart and to your life through that taste of bread and wine under which is the body and blood of our Savior Jesus. Or that there at the baptismal font, whether young or old, whether cute and cuddly newborn or, or not, a little bit older perhaps, there at holy baptism, God actually, in the application of water with the word, God actually washes away sin. And that's kind of the starting point. But sometimes when you zoom out a little bit, or you do the pinch zoom thing maybe, you zoom out a little bit and you realize that there is there's an entire mindset that is different. An entire mindset that is different, and sometimes you see this, um, especially, especially when somebody has been taught in the Christian faith for a long time, and then they come here, and they, they perhaps are coming from a different background versus perhaps even your own life that has been shaped by this other mindset. And not to toss any more terms your way, but it's a contrast between cross and glory. A contrast between life under the cross and a life that looks for glory now. 
And Jesus talks about it most clearly here in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8 when he says in verse 34, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And there he is describing for us the, the big picture, kind of the mindset that a proper, proper teaching of God's word will shape in a person. Because all of those things, justification and original sin and the means of grace, all of those things are outside of our normal human perception. All those things are outside of what we would dream up or imagine if you or I were to try to create our own faith, create our own religion. Who in the world would come up with the idea that the second person of the Trinity would become human and then die on a cross and suffer the pain of hell at that place? And that through his resurrection, this person who is both true God and at the same time true man, that through his resurrection, all people would be declared not guilty by God. All people would be declared forgiven. That's something that is outside of our human perception. It's something that we couldn't come up with on our own. In a sense, if you were here this past Thursday, it's another mystery. A mystery being something that God has to explain because our human brains would never figure it out. And you work your way out from there. On the one side, we've got the topic of original sin, which is incredibly offensive to my sinful nature. The topic, the truth of original sin, that the little baby, as cute and cuddly as he or she may be, is at the same time dead in sin. The truth of original sin, that the, the adult who walked into our doors or walked into a Christian church for the very first time in their 20s, 30s, or 40s, um, that that adult can't do anything of spiritual good. They can't open their heart to invite Jesus in. They can't commit their way to Jesus. That if anything good of spiritual value is to happen, then God has to be the one doing it. And we... <laughs> I don't know if it's uniquely American. I kind of doubt it. We like the idea of taking credit for our decisions in life. And we want to say, well, original sin, surely it's not that bad. But that's because it's something outside of our normal human perception. It's something that God has to reveal to us. And it's something that, you know, chances are, if you've ever spent time with two young children in a room and one toy in that room, you might be shaking your head and saying, where did they get this? Well, we can, we can understand it a little bit from a human perspective. But the full truth of original sin is something that God must tell us. And the other side, the topic of the means of grace, that God actually works through spoken word that sinks into the ear and the Holy Spirit changes the heart that God actually distributes forgiveness of sins together with, his bread, together with the bread and wine and together with his body and blood in with and under that bread and wine. That God actually does this. This isn't just a, a meal of remembrance. And it's not just a bite of bread and a sip of wine so that we remember Jesus. But that this is one of the very simple tools that God has chosen to use to bring his forgiveness from him to your heart. But again, that's outside our perception. 
you put it under a microscope or you taste it and it's like tasted exactly the same as before the service and after the service, I don't see anything different. And the reason, the reason God loves using things that are outside of our perception, things that you or I wouldn't come up with on our own, that nobody would come up with the idea that God would grant forgiveness of sins and eternal life to a little baby through you know, some water poured on the head, saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's absolutely preposterous and offensive to our human reason, but it's there where God hides his grace. And you kind of see this, this through line, this idea that knits them all together in beautiful harmony, that God prefers to hide his glory now. But God promises to show his glory later. That God prefers to hide his glory now. That God prefers to hide his glory underneath, underneath words spoken by a pastor, underneath words that you read with your morning coffee. That God prefers to hide his glory underneath a simple handful of water and a sip of wine. That God prefers to hide his glory now, but he promises that we will see the glory later. He promises that we will see the glory later, where even like this past Thursday, we had a funeral here, and, and you just look at it, and you look at, <laughs> look at the YouTube live stream of it, and it's like, wow. God has chosen again to, to hide his glory here because this young person passed away in a way that does not make sense and doesn't seem right and doesn't seem fair to our human reason. But God prefers to hide his glory now and he promises that we'll see the glory later. And so what normally happens in, in pretty much every funeral um, at least one of, one of, since I normally pick the, the readings for a funeral, I usually pick something from the book of Revelation with, that talks about the glory that God promises that we will see later. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of God with palm branches in their hands, saying, worthy is the Lamb. <laughs> yeah. But God hides his glory now and promises we'll see the glory later. He does that in the way he normally acts, in, in, first of all, the fact that you have been justified. God hides his glory. His greatest glory in attaining the forgiveness of sins for all people was a man naked and bloody on a cross. And the second greatest miracle of all time, after the Incarnation, the second greatest miracle of Jesus rising from the dead was something that nobody saw. <laughs> that Jesus' soul came back from heaven, was reunited with his body, and the very first thing he did was descend into hell. And the angels just opened the tomb to say, look, there's nobody here. He has risen from the dead. That God prefers to hide his glory now, whether it's the glory of the Son of Man becoming human, or Son of God becoming human, or the glory of Jesus Christ rising from the dead, or the glory of Jesus Christ winning the forgiveness of sins, that God prefers to hide his glory now, but he promises we'll see the glory later. And our reading from the Gospel of Mark, 
This is, this is like the, the background, the zoom out big picture. Our reading from the Gospel of Mark reminds us that if you're wondering what's the difference between our church and another church, if you're wondering why do we choose this song but not that song, if you're wondering what is, God's, what is God actually doing in this world, it's right here in the Gospel of Mark. Because if we had our preference, we'd turn that all around. Where the way God has it set up, God prefers to hide his glory now. He promises we'll see the glory later. And we want to turn that around to say, I want to see the glory now. And the, the suffering, well, not so much. That is the probably one of the more foundational concepts, the contrast between the cross and glory, what we call a theology of the cross. That is, God has chosen to reveal himself under suffering, and God has chosen to hide his glory now. And the other concept is what we call a theology of, of glory that looks for God's glory now. And you see, once, once this concept is kind of firmly planted in your mind, you begin to see it. Whether it's, um, whether it's when we're talking about the central core teachings of the Lutheran Church, of the biblical Lutheran faith, and the idea that, on the one hand, a denial of original sin, because it's offensive to my sinful flesh, because I want to have some part in saying that I did this, that I chose Jesus, that I invited him in, that I'm still in control. Or, on the other hand, thinking that, um, you know, a denial of the means of grace, which doesn't look for God's voice in the pages of Scripture where he has promised to be found, but instead looks for God's voice basically in my own inner monologue. Or you keep going. And how does that play out in a congregation? When there's a continual looking for God's glory now, rather than understanding, understanding that God says, now is the time of suffering and the glory comes later. It would turn every element of suffering in this life as into some sort of accident or some sort of retribution. Yeah, because if, if we are to look for God's glory now, then we would expect to go basically from one success to another in a continual upward trend. And where is the place for sickness and suffering? You would be left with the only explanation, well, what did you do that you have given up on this God of glory? And there would be no explanation for what humans call an untimely death. Well, what did you do that it happened this way? And you begin to see the, the emotional impact on your heart and on your life. You begin to see the impact of, of a, a belief and a theology as Jesus describes it. That first comes the suffering that God hides his glory under suffering, but he promises we'll see the glory later. That's exactly what he says. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
where for the Christian, for the Christian, when we hear those words of Jesus, we don't have to wonder why things happen as they did. Even though it's okay to ask that question. We don't have to sit there and, and fret and wonder, what did I do and should I have done things differently? We don't have to wonder why. For the Christian, suffering in this world, yes, is part and parcel of life in a sinful world. But the personal tragedies that invade our lives aren't accidents. They're part of life under the cross. And the personal tragedies that, that invade our lives aren't unknown to God, but they are something that God wants to use as a blessing for you and for me. Because God hides his glory under suffering. God hides his glory under the cross. Where it looked like a, a tragedy on Thursday, but there God hid his glory. That, that little baby had been baptized like three months previously. And there in holy baptism, God washed him clean. And even as the family gathered around and you could almost hear the questions just floating in the air, at the same time that God hides his glory under suffering, that God promises we'll see the glory later, I was able to stand up here and say, you know what? We don't like suffering. But God's greatest wish for you and for me is to bring you to heaven. And this isn't it. That God's greatest goal and desire from before eternity and to your last breath here on earth is to make sure that you spend eternity with him forever. And when God takes a believer out of this world, he makes good on that promise. And even though, even though we still deal with the suffering here, God promises that we will see the glory later. Because that's really the bottom line. Whether it was, um, you know, Jeremiah, who is, who is told, you know, Jerusalem has been besieged and the Chaldeans are going to tear it down, the Babylonians are going to destroy the place. And Jeremiah had the very difficult task for, you know, 15 to 20, 25 years of his ministry of calling people to repentance even though they would never repent. Because God hides his greatest glory under suffering. He hides his greatest glory in his word. And, and it really comes down to God saying, this is the truth. And the human heart recognizing that this is the word of God. And even though it goes against everything that my, my own heart wants or believes or my own human brain thinks, God's word must be true because God's word is greater than my heart and my mind. Because God himself hides his glory under suffering, but he promises that we'll see the glory later. And that suffering, you know, Jeremiah thrown into a cistern in a gigantic pit where that would gather the rainwater. Jeremiah eventually, you know, being probably taken captive um, as, the, as the Israelites fled Jerusalem 
only a few months later. Jeremiah probably dying in captivity in Egypt as far as we know. And if you look at his life, or you read through the book of Jeremiah, it's just one thing after another, and it never gets any better. Like, here's Jeremiah. He's, God calls him, and, and God says, you need to speak my word to these people. And Jeremiah's like, I can't do that. And God says, you know, I'll make your forehead as hard as flint. And for the rest of his life, he kept telling these people, and they kept rejecting him and taking out their anger against God on him. And he would say, oh yeah, sign me up, right? I want to be a prophet in God's church when, when I grow up. Just look at Jeremiah. But God hides his greatest glory under suffering. And that's the way that he has chosen to work. Because it confounds our human reason. It confounds our human hearts and emotion. And it's right in line with the scriptural truth that all of God's greatest blessings are things that we cannot figure out on our own, but things that God must tell us and God must apply to our own hearts. That Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That God hides his greatest glory under suffering. What he promises, you'll see it again later. So what does that mean for you and for me? You can recognize as a Christian that at the bottom and at the foundation of any suffering that you might experience, either now or in the future, of any pain that you might experience, it's going to be that battle between going on what my emotion and my human reason say versus fixing my eyes on the Word of God. When untimely funerals happen, that struggle is very real. But the comfort of God's word surpasses that. As churches begin to work together, and Zion is coming over here hopefully in the next month or so, we have to keep this truth in mind. That the success of a church doesn't depend on the number of people in the pews, and doesn't depend on the external programs or the budgetary bottom line, the success of the church is seen in God's people holding on to the word of God and applying that in, in their lives to the way we interact with one another. Because I don't know what the next, <laughs> I don't know what tomorrow holds, much less the next five or 10 or 15 years. But what I do know is exactly where we started that Jesus died and rose to win your justification. That even though you and I could do nothing to approach God, at the same time, he has come to you personally, individually, with his means of grace to wash away your sin, to promise you heaven, and to promise you, take up your cross and follow him, because he's worth it. That your life in this world, to a greater or lesser degree, will be characterized by suffering. And that's not a mistake. That's a blessing from our God who wants to 
make sure that we pay attention to what he says rather than what our own hearts say, rather than what our, our human brains think. Because he has promised, dear friend, even though there's suffering now, the glory will be coming. And you'll see it eventually. Amen.